Welcome into West of Everest. Week seven of the college football season is here. And Oklahoma really, really needs a win over Kansas. That's the state of OU football as we speak, and as we exist here in the year 2022. But to be fair, this is not the same type of Kansas team that we've seen for the last decade. This is a Jayhawks club who's clearly much improved under Lance Leipold and a team that's somehow better than Oklahoma six games into the season. Now imagine three months ago that somebody told you that Kansas would be better than Oklahoma in the middle of October. It's just wild, but that's that's the reality. That's where we are right now. Anyways, it looks like Dylan Gabriel will play this week, or at least he's on track as we record Wednesday evening. He's still in concussion protocol, but so far, so good. Uh, he's practicing, and by Thursday, that's the day that Brent Venables said that he will find out whether or not Gabriel is good to go or not, so I guess we'll wait and see, but as of now, it's looking pretty good. So if Gabriel does play, it means that Oklahoma will at least be able to competently throw the football around the field. At least, we hope. We hope. We think so. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and also, this is a, a, aside from the offense, Brent Venables seemed to imply that he's changed some things up scheduling-wise this week at his Tuesday press conference when asked about the guys being, quote, tired because after the OU Texas game, Venables mentioned that maybe the guys are tired. He kind of hinted at that after Texas. And Venables said, quote, this is that week that we start to tweak our schedule. Maybe it's a week or two too late. We got destroyed two straight weeks. We're missing open guys. We're not tackling. And I put that all on the coaches. We need to help our guys get fresh, end quote. So who knows if that means anything, if that will have any sort of impact on the game coming up this Saturday against Kansas. We'll find out on Saturday. Joining me as always is Grant Benson. And Grant, would you say that maybe you're a little tired six games into the college football season? Should we tweak our schedule a bit to get more fresh? Geez, man, I've been, I've been tired watching this team since 2020. Eh, maybe even the second half of 2019. I don't know, not to be too dramatic, but no, nah, I don't know. I mean, this season is absolutely flying by, though. Already the second half of the year. That's stupid as hell. But we continue on. Indeed we do. So today I want to begin piggybacking off of our discussion in the post-Texas podcast because you and I are on you know, different levels of where this team is. And a big part of what I was trying to get across is that I still very much want to see more Dylan Gabriel play healthy to totally decide for myself if this is a bad football team that will definitely be lucky to go 6-6. Six and six. Like, I still want to see more Dylan Gabriel. But, like... While I do still think the defense in general will play better if Oklahoma's offense is playing more like it played the first four games of the season, after watching back more of the tape from the TCU and the Texas games, it's clear to me that this team it just doesn't have very many good players. And it's mainly in the secondary, and it's mainly at linebacker. And I want to start talking about linebacker it's mainly been Danny Stutzman and David Oguebu. Those are the two guys that are playing a ton of snaps. And when they're not fitting correctly in the run game, they're looking lost at the second level in pass coverage. It's almost like they're robots, but in a bad way. They'll try to get to a spot in their zone above all else, despite where opposing players are or the formation or the situation on the field. And that 
a lot of the times ends up with particularly Danny Stutzman covering just grass, just covering nothing but grass, which essentially takes him out of the play. So that's an issue that I've seen with him. And, you know, this is happening, especially when Ted Roof stops calling blitzes because Oklahoma can't get home or they overrun the quarterback and the quarterback squirts away, scrambles away. We saw that with Max Duggan. We saw that with Adrian Martinez. So now, OU, you see them rushing three, dropping eight. But you got quarterbacks like Quinn Ewers or Max Duggan. They got all day back there. And in theory, it should be easier to cover when you have eight players drop back in zones because you've only got at max five receivers or five eligible pass catchers out there. But there's always somebody open. And that's on the linebackers. But mostly, I turn my attention now, it's mostly on the defensive backs. And here's what I've decided. And I'm happy for these guys to prove me wrong the rest of the season. But evidence so far, especially in the last two games, the defensive backs are bad. They are bad. There's, there's no awareness. They panic at the point of contact. I, I have no clue what the point of practice has been for the last 10 months with these guys. And I'm mainly talking about the TCU game. Max Duggan threw up some passes that should have been intercepted, but two players, the two balls that should have been picked for sure, Justin Harrington, Trey Morrison, they showed zero intent to actually catch the football and get a takeaway. I just don't understand because I think getting interceptions, playing defensive back, tracking the ball, trying to get takeaways, that's the most fun part about that job, about playing DB. And Oklahoma's DBs seem to want nothing to do with takeaways. Nothing. And so I I say all of this to say this, Grant. You're right. You said last episode that Oklahoma's defense has looked like hapless Big 12 defenses the past few years going against Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma offense and I pushed back on that a little bit last show but I agree you're right I was wrong it is that was brutal against TCU that was brutal against Texas they can't stop the run they can't defend the pass they can't do anything and there's very few snaps where there's guys anticipating basic football plays or basic football routes and it's just crazy that the defense is that bad with Brent Venables as the head coach I just don't think they have very good players right now. Where are you on all this? Well, I, I don't, I don't know where to go with it because, yeah, I mean, I it's that's what my eyes are telling me when I watch them that they're just not very good and they're not, yeah, you, you know, just, supremely you got talented. There quicker than I did. I'm sorry, I've seen these guys. I've seen these guys play good football. All of these guys who are sucking right now, I've seen them play good football. So it's frustrating. It's absolutely maddening to me why that's the case. Why? How? How has Woody Washington been as terrible as he's been this year? How? He's been awful. He's been terrible. Yeah, he's been he's been one of the best players on defense, and he's been he's been bad. But everybody else has been so bad that he's actually been one of the better players. It's crazy. They have too many I mean, guys he, who have been difference makers on the defensive line in the past who have just been completely invisible, especially over the last three games. Um, I don't know what's well, going their on. Defense, I cannot. And their, I can't. The, the thing that bugs me, though, I, I, I feel like, to me, the person that kind of stands out the most as the person who is, you know, I, on defense when you watch, it's, it's Igwebu, I, I feel like, is, is the biggest problem on the defense. He's in the middle of the defense. He's the slowest guy on the defense, it feels like, and I'm, like, I'm including the defensive ends and the defensive linemen. Um, and it's maddening because I've seen that guy play good football. I saw him be, yeah, I saw him be downright dominant at times in the second half of 2020. What the heck happened? Yeah, I mean, that was two years ago. He hasn't, 
2020, he was really good. Yeah, like you mentioned the second half, and we thought there'd be a breakout season in 2021, and he disappeared last year. And in a more like, prominent role this season. Offensive guys couldn't yeah. block him in 2020. And now anytime you put a hand on him, he's done. What happened? I, I don't know. I, I think he's probably playing out of position. We were texting the other day. I mean, at this point in the year, the, the problem is they don't have much depth at linebacker, but I, I'd like to see him just play like a defensive end role because he's, he's not very fast. He's a big guy. So maybe if he's tasked with, hey, just try to use your power, I, you know, not as much thinking, no, I, I, maybe that like, would help him. I think, you're, I think you're being nice floating that out there. He's done, man. They can't move in the defensive end. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. I'm trying to think, like, where like it's he, a, He's been, he's a guy, he's, just, he's, he's been not a very good around. middle linebacker. He never should have been a linebacker. He always should have just been a, an edge guy. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, the last staff jerked him around, and, and this is, I guess this is just kind of the end result. He's not good. And it's too bad, because I feel like he has had some promise throughout his career. And, uh, I don't know, we can make excuses all we want. They just don't have a lot of good players right now. But the thing that bugs me, Lee, is that they've... They've played some teams in the past that also don't have a lot of very good players, but yet they're still able to line up and they still know what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah, that is. In fact, a majority of the teams that they've played in the Big 12, the, you know, since Lincoln Riley has been there, whatever, it, have don't really have very many good players. And yet they're still able to functionally do stuff. That hasn't been the case this year. That's a huge problem. So many red flags coming out right now. Like I, I, yeah, I understand. Like I, I'm very sympathetic to the argument that they're just they're just not as talented as we thought they were. But I think I mean things can change really really quickly in a season. I don't like I, I don't want to keep bringing up TCU and Texas Tech and their new staffs, but it rings absolutely true. Those are two teams that just straight up did not look good last season. looked looked untalented at times. Maybe not. You know TCU especially on defense that is. And yet now both of those teams, Texas Tech is not great, but they're playing really hard. They've been really competitive. And TCU is knocking on the door of the top 10. The only thing that changed really was the coaching staffs. That's it. And I, I guess, I don't know. It's, I, I've, I've been kind of irritated this week and maybe the last couple of weeks, kind of people bringing up, you know, the OU fans, especially in the offseason. And I understand that OU fans were probably annoying to outside observers. That's fine. But then, like, just kind of bring like, where OU has fallen to this year, like, OU fans should have seen that coming and were naive for being surprised and being upset about this. Like, like they weren't the team with the third best blue chip ratio in the country coming into this season. Get the hell out of here with that. Something's wrong. Yeah, I'm, Something yeah, very I'm much that, is wrong. Yeah, I, you're right. Because the recruiting classes have been good to great. And there's been a lot. They, they have. There's been, they've, they've bled out of a lot of those recruiting classes. But, I, you know, what's more likely that Brent Venables and his new staff just isn't gelling or vibing with these players or, you know, the, the recruits that were in top 10 recruiting classes over the last three or four years, all of the ones that Lincoln Riley recruited and all of the ones that were highly recruited based off the recruiting service and everything, is it more likely that just everyone was wrong on those? Lincoln Riley, the recruiting services, everyone, and those guys just stink? I, that doesn't that, happen that very often. Yeah, that seems unlikely. It seems unlikely. Coaching is the most important in football. In football, coaching is the most important thing compared to every other sport. I mean, coaches have the most influence. That's why these coaches make so much money uh, in college, especially, and also in, in the pros, they make good money too. Uh, heck, they make more a lot of times in college. 
because there's so much influence. I mean, I, I mean, look at Kansas is a perfect example. Lance Leipold, this is what year? Is this year two for him? Year two for Lance year Leipold. Three. Year two. And Kansas was, uh, I mean, last year they were bad, but they were more competitive. Two years ago, before he got there, they were a laughing stock, and they were a laughing stock more than you know two years ago. And all of a sudden, they're a very competent team in the top twenty-five. And go look at their team. That go look at yeah. all of the contributors on their team. All of them are sophomores and juniors. All of them haven't been there long. They're young players. In fact, mo- most of their most of their difference makers are sophomores, true sophomores. Wow, it's it's really frustrating. I and it's. You know, I, I don't I don't know where to go right now because, yeah, it's like because, you know, where do you where do you go other than just like they have to beat Kansas this week? And you know what? They're a nine point favorite. And that's freaking crazy. That's insane. <laughs> and th- it can only be explained that Vegas is just following their models still. And the models just haven't caught up with reality. Uh, it's, it There's a lot to it there. Yes, I'm sure the. The fact that Jalen Daniels is doubtful to play. Who knows if he's going to be out for the year? I know he's he's disputed that one report himself. But, you know, Jason Bean proved to be pretty competent. Uh, we can talk more about Kansas, obviously, a little bit coming I up. Paid, I wanted to hit on some other things first. I paid quite a bit of attention to the, the TCU-Kansas game. I was watching it live on Saturday. Jason Bean is better than Dylan Gabriel. He's, uh, he's more talented. Great. He's a more talented player. Oh, um, I did want to say, I, 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 just before I forget, the defensive line, I feel like they're not being put in great spots, especially over the last couple of games, because they're playing you know, three-man front so much. And whenever they're tasked with trying to get to the quarterback, whenever there's obviously five offensive linemen, and sometimes with Texas, Texas max protected. They put an extra guy in every once in a while. And so you got three guys rushing six blockers. The defensive line really has not had any chance to get to the quarterback. <laughs> Like the last couple of weeks. I mean, you got Reggie Grimes being double teamed a bunch because it's just it, it's mathematically makes sense for the other team. He's trying to blo- get past two guys when other players trying to get past two. It's almost like one, one player on the, the defensive line is going to have a one-on-one matchup and they got to win it. They got to win it to have any sort of success. And so that's, I think, another reason why maybe there's not much you know, pressure on the quarterback. And it's difficult to really judge a defensive line because I just don't know how much they can do when they're playing you know, with only three of those guys on the field a lot of the time. But to be fair, though, when they've used four, and I, I'm going to talk about this here in a little bit, when they use four sparingly, four defensive linemen in the last couple of games, there hasn't been that much of a difference, but there just has been a much smaller sample size. So I just wanted to bring that up real quick. Uh, we did have a, a couple of Facebook comments that I missed after the Texas game, and I, uh, I want to get to one right now, and then I saved one for later in the show. And so... This is going to be from Justin on the West of Evers Facebook page. He sent us a, a direct message on Facebook, and this was after the Texas game. And so I just figured, started the podcast, let's get to this and clean this up because we, we like to, to make sure that we re- uh, respond to all you guys that take the time to, to ask us questions or, and give us your thoughts, and we really appreciate it. So Justin says, I'm guessing you guys are going to cover this stuff, but I'll be curious to see if you have any thoughts about Oklahoma using Eric Gray up the middle on that early fourth and one instead of Marcus Major, who is a bigger, more physical running back. Also, hope to get your thoughts on why Jeff Lebby used Eric Gray on that jump pass to Braden Willis when Braden Willis had some quarterback experience in high school. Why not reverse the roles and trust Willis with the ball in that situation? One last note. 
I saw a comment that Nick Evers looked surprised to be put in the game and didn't get warm-up time on the sidelines before entering the game. Can you guys confirm that? You guys can just address all of this on the pod if you want. Thanks, Justin. So let's try to address each one of these uh, parts of the question one by one. Uh, Using gray up the middle, early fourth down, um, I hadn't thought of that. Um, I guess instead of, you know, using Marcus Major, I think – you know, Gabe or Teddy, one of those guys who mentioned that Major's kind of dealing with a, a banged up, like an injury. You know, he missed the TCU game, so maybe he wasn't fully healthy. Uh, I didn't think much about that. I, I think it was more of a, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, Grant, but that first drive, you know, when they were only down 7 nothing or second drive, whatever it was, and they kind of gave up on the Wildcat. I, in hindsight, I'd like to see them use more of the Wildcat deeper into the drives, like deeper in the red zone, because they just went away from it and took the ball out of gray and willis's hands and put it into davis bevel's hands when that was never going to go anywhere so that's kind of my you know hindsight's 2020 thoughts when it when it comes to that especially that that series where gray got stuffed on fourth down um i i guess my my main nitpick on that play would just using bevel to handle the snap that that's why that play was was busted i i feel like um and he handled the, the last three snaps or whatever that yep, drive. Yeah, so, and like, I understand what, where you're coming from there. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel like the more egregious thing there was just was was just having Bevel take the snap and not staying in the Wildcat. Um, I, I'm at the point where I, I would prefer Eric Gray to be taking most of the running back snaps. He's He's been good this year. He's He's been the brightest spot on this team this year, in my opinion. Yeah, he's been good. Good for him. Uh, on reversing the roles on that halfback pass. Sure, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because Willis was taking a bunch of snaps as well. So, I mean, you could have done it either way. I'd say the biggest, uh, the, the bigger Nick Pitt with that, and I've, I've taken some other people's thoughts on this because I haven't given it much thought, and I went out and watched it back. It's just, uh, like, you knew at some point Oklahoma was going to try to pass it. You knew they were going to do it. It's just, in that scenario, it's easy to nitpick it because it, it, it was such a terrible play. It, it blew up in their face. I think it was a first down snap. You know, it wasn't a situation it was. it came where after a chunk play too. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I can't remember if it was Gabe or Teddy or somebody else I talked to, uh, maybe the Sooner Scoop guys, or maybe just somebody that I talked to in the media, and because everything kind of runs together. So I apologize to anybody out there that's listening to this if if it was you, but you know, maybe it was Teddy. Like he said something like, you know, if it was a situation, maybe like the fourth and one or something, where they're going to be, you know, Texas is going to really be, you know, loading up against the run and trying to stick their nose in a pile. That's when you maybe you do that jump pass when you can get somebody behind as opposed to on a first down when maybe they're still kind of thinking oh anything can happen here uh but yeah it just you knew they were going to throw it at some point it just sucks that it went so so badly yeah i mean i, I don't I, it's yeah it's, it's kind of comical and how terrible it was <laughs> and lastly on nick evers i haven't heard any anything with that um as far as you know, warm-up time, I don't know if it would have mattered, honestly, Justin. Uh, sure, I mean, he threw one ball into the dirt. He looked like Davis Bevel. Uh, I think a more, I guess to, to further the conversation ahead is, you know, I was talking to some of the guys on Tuesday about this in the media, and, you know, there's some theories out there that, you know, I, yeah, I, Evers is better. You know, maybe Nick Evers is better than Bevel, but it's just he's so inexperienced, so you just keep going and going and going with Bevel. And I... My pushback to that is the same thing I've been saying on this podcast the last couple of podcasts is I, I disagree with that because I, I think if there was anything better than Davis Bevel, we would have seen it. They'd go, they'd go with it. I mean, what would be the harm? I mean, you throw out – let's say you think Nick Evers is better than Davis Bevel. Put him out there in the third quarter. 
Who cares if he throws a pick or whatever? I mean, you're already down by multiple scores. But what it told me is that they don't think that. The coaches don't think he's better. The coaches don't think he's good. He's not ready. Neither is General Booty. That's my opinion. I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm kind of just throwing this out there at you without any sort of prep time, Grant, because we weren't going to plan on talking about no, that's this. No, it's fine. But, I, I'm, uh, I'm comfortable talking about this. I just, yeah, I that line of argument, there was, I'll be honest with you, the, the whole thing last week with, with people trying to find any sort of anything, you know, with Evers and Booty maybe starting and trying to get the, like the hype stuff, that really wasn't for me. I, I, I don't like that stuff. Um, probably, probably a lot of that is personal bias. I don't think Nick Evers is that good. I don't think he's really ever going to take a meaningful snap at OU. Um, I mean, I, I would like to be wrong about that, but just, I don't know. So some of the hype surrounding that just, it just kind of irritates me a little bit. I, cause I, I, I'm exactly where you are. If Nick Evers showed the capability to go in there and be successful, he would have been in there. I guarantee freaking it. Yeah, and so I think the main thing is that it's on Jeff Lebby for not getting any of their backup quarterbacks prepared even to play somewhat competent football. Uh, you know, behind Dylan Gabriel, there's nothing. And you know who knows what would have happened. I, another theory, I was talking to John Shin, uh, one of the OU Beat Media guys, and he mentioned, hey, you know, putting Davis Bevel as the backup you know, immediately without any sort of competition, that may have hurt them. Because they should have put Nick Evers as the main backup. So maybe, you know, throughout all of this time, since you know, ever since Evers got there, or I can't remember when Bevel got there. You know, certainly for the fall, I mean, in theory, Evers would have gotten a lot more snaps than a Davis Bevel. And then maybe he'd be further along. But in my mind, it's sure. I mean, I, I guess that's you would hope that Evers is more talented than Bevel. But I, I either way, like, you got Bevel's got to be he's played some snaps in college football. You'd think he'd be capable of learning the offense and that's what not I'm being. That's what it not has being to be. what he's been like, so far. I, I really feel like Davis Bevel was the only one in that room other than Dylan Gabriel who they could trust to actually get the play in. That has to be it. I bet Evers and Booty can even get the play in that, consistently. See, the, the, the thing on that, though, is that if you're right about that, that's a, a huge red flag because I was talking to Dusty about this and you know Dusty he he's boys with Jeff Lebby like they're they're friends like he knows I mean, and the whole thing with Jeff Lebby's offense is it's very quarterback friendly <laughs> it's supposed to be very simple for quarterbacks and so if Dylan Gabriel's the only guy that that gets it and it's a simple system that's a huge red flag that or uh, Gabriel and Bevel I say I'm, the only two I'm guys much that, more that interested in and in why Micah Bowens is not a factor whatsoever I'm so much I more interested that. in that question. And maybe at this point it's a stupid question because this is two coaching staffs now where he's been a non-factor. But when you had a game plan that was literally predicated on your tight end and your running backs taking wildcat snaps, you have a guy who is literally basically a running back who can also throw it a little bit in the quarterback room. I like This is what I understand. Ralph Rucker would have been a better op- option than Davis Bevel. So what's going on? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. And I asked Lebby about Bowens just because, like, what you just said. I mean, half of their snaps, I, I didn't count fully, but it seemed like at least half of the snaps, maybe even more. Certainly in the first half, I mean, more than half the snaps, I think, were out of the, the Wildcat. That was a big part of their game plan. Yeah, why not have a – like, you have a quarterback that is very mobile and Bowens that can also potentially throw the ball, you would hope, it's like, better than Braden uh, Willis, Eric Gray, and Jaleel Farouk. I've, I've, seen, I've seen Micah Bowens play in person in two straight spring games, and I realize it's a spring game. He's better than Davis Bevel. Why isn't he out there? 
So the 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 gist I got from Jeff Levy when I asked about that on Monday is to me it sounded like it was simply the way it came off to me was that they they don't trust you know they don't trust anybody else but Bevel with the ball or actually no uh, it was mainly sorry it, it was you know we we wanted our experienced guys out there handling the football Braden Willis Eric Gray and so in my mind the way I took it was that uh, we don't trust Micah Bowens with the football like he's gonna he's gonna mess up he's gonna fumble he's gonna throw a pick. So, and you know, who knows if they even considered him? I don't even know if they even thought about putting him in there. I don't know. No, I mean, I, mean, I think that's that wasn't part they, they of my didn't. question. They didn't. He's not even on the depth chart. So that's so. why, like, I'm just, I'm just, it's just kind of confusing to me. He's just that's he's been on campus for three years now. He's never even been on a depth chart. And I don't know, when I see him play in person, he doesn't look like a guy that you just can't put on the field. Whatever. Right, I mean, it's, what, it's, it's whatever. But it's like yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna throw out, oh, Nick Evers is gonna be the savior, and General Booty's gonna be the savior rhetoric and stuff like that. It's perfectly reasonable to bring up Micah Bowens. We're, I mean, we're yeah, we're, yeah. we're we're dealing in the same realms of reality here, non-reality. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Britt Venables' press conference, particularly when he was asked by James Hale about the three-man, three defensive linemen, four defensive linemen, and I know that's. You know, it's a pretty stark contrast because Oklahoma has they've employed, you know, the first couple games, it was a lot of four three. Then against Nebraska, it was new. They went with a three, three, five. And the last two games, it's been predominantly uh, the three man front, three defensive linemen on the field. And so, you know, he was asked about that, and Brent Venables kind of got a little like a little defensive with it. And let me find my notes just to make sure I, I don't get anything wrong here. Let's see. He, uh, you know, he was kind of quizzing James. He was asking, "Hey, you know what? What were we doing? You know, the first couple of games." And he, James said, "You know, four three, which is right." Then, you know, he mentioned that you know, Nebraska was a lot of three man, and so Venables' point was, "Hey, you know, we were really good for the first two games, and game three, doing different things." You know, he said that we stopped the run against Nebraska pretty well, uh, and then he talked about how against Kansas State, Venables said that they were with four defensive linemen the whole game, which. Technically, is not true because I went back and watched, and they did utilize three defensive linemen for portions of the game. I'll get more details here in a moment. Uh, but like in general, I, I get what Venables was saying now that I watched it back. His point, I think, was that, yeah, that was our base defense against Kansas State. And so he kind of got a little defensive, and then what was interesting is that he brought up how the three-man defensive line, that look, the last couple of years – has been one of the best defenses in the country, depending on who's running it. He referenced Iowa State. He referenced Oklahoma State last year, Baylor. And then he kind of went into more details about what Oklahoma was not doing correctly when running it. And so, you know, it kind of tells us that, okay, like Venables clearly wants to be able to do this and do it well like these other teams. Oklahoma's not doing it well, though. And, I, again, I went and looked up how often they ran you know, three down linemen, three defensive linemen to be more precise, four defensive linemen, and then also five defensive linemen every single game this year. And I tweeted it out. You can see it on at Lee Benson News 9 if uh, you want to actually see a visual. And so, Grant, against UTEP, Oklahoma was base defense, four defensive linemen on the field every single snap except for two snaps where they put five defensive linemen on the field, both in goal line situations. So uh, they never used the three D linemen look against UTEP. Against Kent State, 71 snaps on defense, every single one of them with four defensive linemen on the field. And then against Nebraska, it was basically flipped. And we all know that. We watched the game. Nebraska, 
three defensive linemen on the field, 76 snaps, only one snap with four defensive linemen. And then the last three games have kind of been a little interesting. Kansas State, they go back to the four defensive linemen look, Grant. 69 snaps with four D linemen on the field, 14 with three defensive linemen on the field. One of those snaps was the infamous third and 16 where they ran man free and Adrian Martinez essentially ended the game with a long run. Against TCU, they went predominantly three defensive linemen on the field, 77 snaps with three defensive linemen on the field, one snap with four defensive linemen on the field. And then against Texas, it was, it was similar to Kansas State, but flipped. 63 snaps against Texas with three defensive linemen on the field, 19 snaps with four defensive linemen on the field. And so, like, moving forward, I'd like to see more 4-3 just because they had some success with it kind of early on the first couple of games and decent, decent success at times against Kansas State. But here's the thing, Grant. Honestly, with four defensive linemen against Texas, for example, they didn't stop the run much better. Like, and it was all in the second half, by the way. So, I mean, yeah, take that for what it's worth. Maybe that, maybe they were kind of the game's over. OU's offense wasn't going to move the ball. Like, I didn't see a theme of a better defense with the Texas game of four down linemen versus three down linemen in that game. It's so, so like, I, I understand, like, oh, let's go back to four, and I, I want to see more four down linemen, but really, there, there wasn't that big of a difference. I think they were just bad against Texas. So, uh, okay, so I'll, I'll shut up. Where are you? Uh, where are you there on all this? I mean, I think I've already I've already given my thoughts on this. I think they should be primarily in four down right now, uh, mostly just because defensive tackle is the best position they have on the team, and right now they're only putting one on the field every single play. Yeah, stupid. That's stupid. Yeah, no. Like Jalen Redmond and Isaiah Coe are probably the two best players on this defense right now with Billy Bowman out. They need to be on the field as much as humanly possible at the same time. Easy yeah, logic. Jeffrey Johnson, too. Easy I, logic. There I, you I go. I like him. I like Jeffrey Johnson. Jordan Kelly. I like. I mean, I, I do want to see those guys get more snaps. I'm with you. And, and also, uh, I mean, if, uh, if they are going to be in that three-down look, they got to be bigger there. They can't roll out Jalen Redmond, Ethan Downs, and Reggie Grimes in that look. They just cannot. Because they're so easy to run against, man. Whenever so easy to run against. Box. If I mean, they're going to be in the three-down, so many... Isaiah Coe yeah. needs to be the nose tackle. Jalen Redmond needs to be one of the defensive ends. And, and Grimes and Downs can, can get the other defensive end position. They can switch off if they want. They need more beef and up man, there it, if, they, if they're going to be in that look. Those other teams that Brent Venables mentions, the Iowa States of the world, the Baylors of the world, they have a giant 330-pound nose tackle in the middle of that thing. It is a prerequisite for running that defense. OU does not have a single person on the roster like that outside of Alton Tarber, who is a true freshman. They don't have the personnel to run it. I don't care that other teams have had success with it. OU cannot run it. Get out of it or you're going to go three and nine. (laughs) Another issue, man, Oklahoma is so susceptible to tempo, man, because especially playing that three down front, I mean, they're getting lined up, and it's a light box, and they can't sub, and they're just running right through it. A team, I mean, Texas, Texas did it. TCU showed the blueprint for it. Kansas State at times showed the blueprint for it. Uh, I mean, heck, watching all these games, and I was texting you last night. You know, Nebraska got their butts kicked by OU, but man, they did some things actually decently well offensively in that game that probably stood out to Kansas State to TCU to Texas if they watched it. I mean, they were able to run the ball actually decently well against Oklahoma. Take away the sack yardage in the first half on Casey Thompson, 
And I know that's part of the game, but remember, like in college football, sack yards go into rushing yards. Yeah, not you know, non-sack far- rushing yards is a very important statistic. Yeah, and, and so I was kind of doing the math on there. I believe Nebraska average, you take away the sack yards, Nebraska average like 4.7 yards per carry, which it's not like amazing, but it's, it's still pretty good. You're I mean, staying ahead of schedule if carry. you do that. Yeah. And I mean, when I watched the game back, I, I definitely noticed a decent amount of just running back runs that were like, yeah, there's seven yards. Oh, there's 10 yards there. Like there's five. I mean, and that was somewhat early in the game. I mean, Casey Thompson missed some throws. Uh, yeah, I mean, Nebraska's offensive line is awful. I mean, Oklahoma's defensive line and all their kind of exotic blitzes definitely confused them, got after them, and that's what helped Oklahoma in that game. But I think now that I watch that back, man, there was a lot on tape in that game to help out future opponents against Oklahoma's defense, and we're seeing it play out the last few weeks, unfortunately. All right, uh, let's talk OU Kansas. I think that's all I have on... Yeah, that's all I have on the the four defensive linemen versus three defensive linemen. And I'll be honest with you, Grant, and the listeners there at home or wherever you are, I don't have a lot on Kansas. I don't. Uh, the way this season's played out, OU's three and three. I've seen Kansas play a little bit. I know Kansas is good. They don't look like Kansas. I don't like have Kansas. a lot of thoughts on them. <laughs> you know, we talked about how Oklahoma is surprisingly a nine-point favorite as we record at 545 on Wednesday evening. And normally, and you mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, Vegas is probably the odds makers are kind of going by their models. They have, you know, haven't caught up to Oklahoma not being very good. And so when I see a number like this, and I'm not an expert on this, but I've been following sports betting now. I mean, it, you get older and older and you start to learn more things. I mean, I've been kind of paying attention probably for a decade or so. And, and I definitely know a heck of a lot more now than I did a decade ago. And when I see a number like this, given the way Oklahoma has played, it's, it means a couple of things. Obviously, uh, that number shows or uh, infers that Dylan Gabriel is going to play okay that's a big part of it and also Jalen Daniels the starting quarterback for Kansas it shows that he's probably not going to play as well OU also you throw in the fact that OU is in desperation mode at home uh, and you know coming off a you know obviously their third straight loss what does this number also tells me traditionally you know you see a, a ranked opponent a, you know this big of an underdog at home against a bad OU team it almost kind of thinks like the oddsmakers know something and, and they want you to bet Kansas. They, and so either the oddsmakers are totally wrong like, like they were last week in the last couple of weeks, or this is the, finally the time when Oklahoma kind of bounces back and this is like a trap for Joe Schmo better that's going to see, oh my gosh, Kansas is good this year. They're getting nine points against this bad Oklahoma team and that could be a great bet. And it, yeah, but... This is what this number is telling you. It's telling you that Oklahoma, by the book, I think is actually the right side here because of how, how ridiculous this number is. And betting Kansas may be a trap. Uh, and I hope that's right, obviously. I hope Oklahoma comes out and plays really well and wins the game. But the way this team has played the last couple of games, I don't know how the heck, how the heck you could, number one, bet Oklahoma, and number two, lay more than a touchdown? And I, I'm a big Dylan Gabriel guy. You know, I'm, I'm the... The big Dylan Gabriel makes this team totally different. I'm the leader of that fan club. But, man, this number is crazy to me. I don't know about it at all. I, I think, yeah, if you're going by the gambling book, the, you take OU all day in this one, if you're going by gambling principle. The thing is, though, like this, this just tells me that they're just following the model still because this is exactly what SP Plus has this game at, too. And, they, and SP Plus hasn't, hasn't updated well oh, enough to, to account for what's happened in the last three weeks either. That's all this is. That like the reason why the reason why Vegas is so consistent is because they stick to a model. 
and they're sticking to their model here, and it's not going to be right 100% of the time. This is one of those sure. instances. It's insane. This line should be flipped, almost. <laughs> yeah, I figured it'd be KU. I don't know. I, I figured KU... Like, I'm actually, I'm I thought not surprised it would be, favored. Honestly, I thought it would be a pick em, Around a pick em. When it first I was thinking out. it might be like around like OU, like OU three, three and a half. That's kind of like, like around a field goal. I, I figured OU would be favored just because they're at home and... I mean, desperation. But here's the thing. Kansas is coming off a loss, too. <laughs> I mean, coming off a loss where they I mean, is, a, is a good player coming off a loss. Honestly, they should have won against TCU, a team that beat Oklahoma by by a million points two weeks ago. Very interesting. Uh, and, and again, like their quarterback, you mentioned you think he's better than Dylan Gabriel. Jason Bean, he's definitely he, more talented, has more has more arm like, talent and is also big and can move. Kansas didn't do anything really offensively until Bean came into the game against TCU last week. They scored all their touchdowns with Jason Bean. He had four touchdown passes. He had a really good game. I mean, I saw a little bit of it, and he was dropping some dimes. He was putting the ball in some tight windows, and his receivers were making nice, nice plays. And so this offense is difficult to defend. There's a lot of option principles within it. And Oklahoma playing in a way in which I'm not so sure how smart these guys are, how much they can read their keys. I mean, we saw creative Sark with a lot of eye candy and a, you know, a lot of misdirection last week. We're going to see some of that against Kansas too. And Oklahoma's defense playing so poorly right now. Uh, I'll be curious to see what they, you know, what Brent Venables decides is his base type defense against Kansas. Is it going to be the four-down lineman look, or is he going to stick with the three-down lineman against this offense? I don't know. That's kind of interesting. I don't know either. I, uh, I presume he's not going to change. I, I think a lot of stuff is going to stay the same. Um, and maybe that's just my cynical nature, but I just, I don't... When he answers these questions, it just seems like he's pretty committed to this, that they're going to do this. And um, I guess we'll see, we'll see how it works. I just, I don't... I very much do not agree with the hard-headed approach if that's the way that they go. I I don't like that. By far, the best thing they can do for the future of this program is win as many games as humanly possible, however they have to do it. I don't care about 2023. I don't care about being able to play the 3-3-5 stack when they're, when, when they're in the SEC. I want them to go 4-3 and three right now. That's all I care about. And if that's, not, if that's not the only thing that the coaching staff is thinking about, big red flag. Big, big red flag. I, I mean, yeah, I guess I don't know. I, I'm with you. I, I think the most important part about this season, it's it's a season where they need to play for respectability and they need to play to hold on to their recruiting class, which has now been bumped up to number three in the 247 composite rankings. And I, I think, you know, obviously Dylan Gabriel's health is, is paramount. They need him because speaking of this game, you know, the Oklahoma's trying to go four and three. They're trying to get the win this week. Kansas's defense statistically isn't great. You know, it's, it's down there, uh, but they do – create some havoc they sack the quarterback a good amount they have 16 sacks this year but with Dylan Gabriel in there and hopefully he's fully healthy and man can he just you know maybe Grant let's let's get positive wishful thinking going maybe Dylan Gabriel he's finally uh shook the the bad habits of missing three to five throws per game and against TCU uh, seven to ten throws a game and he's just pinpoint accurate and that's how he moves the ball the rest of the season if he can guarantee that I feel pretty darn good about Oklahoma's offense moving forward and especially scoring points against this Kansas defense. Uh, yeah, I still feel again, like this if is he's... Not, this, it, is, this is reality. I still though. feel like if he's healthy the rest of the season, 
he's going to have at least one game where he's just on everything. He's just hitting everything. That was always going to be the case this year. You just kind of hope that it's that one game is, is in the most convenient spot. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen this week. I mean, he's a, he's the guy's hot and cold. I mean, he is who he is. And so, and like, he's been pretty consistent though, this, this season. I mean, the first four games, I thought he was pretty darn consistent. I mean, he was hitting a lot of throws. He'd miss some throws. <laughs> hitting a lot of stuff. Overall, and there was, was a lot of stuff good. where you're just like, ooh, you're going to have to hit that later in the season if they want to go where they want to go. But now yeah. it's just like, you're going to have to hit that later in the season if they want to win seven games. <laughs> I'm at the point, man, if they win seven games, much- I'm going to throw a parade for this team. <laughs> Do you have much on Kansas? Because I, again, like I said, I, only I then- don't have much. I... Only when I watch them, they're better than OU. I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, that's pretty clear. I, I don't know what else to say. They're, Kansas is a better football team than Oklahoma. I I really hope that changes on Saturday, but I'm I'm not holding my breath right now. This is OU should should be an underdog in this game. This is they're they're very very much in danger territory right now. So the only other thing I guess we can bring up in relation to this game on Saturday is that it just came out today on Wednesday that they're going to wear some alternate uniforms. They're going to wear some... Uh, it's not technically black, but I can never get that word right. And Anthromarsite or... Anthracite, I, I, I think. Anthracite, yeah. I, so and there's some pictures, and, and honestly, the uniforms look, look kind of cool. I kind of like them. Uh, but here's the thing. I... I've, I've always been intrigued to see OU wear black. I've always kind of thought, I, I, I want to see it. But the timing for this is just so bad. <laughs> it's just, it's horrible timing. Like, I saw that, they, I think uh, it was either Caleb Kelly or maybe the press release mentioned that they had this all planned out prior to the season to do this against Kansas. And obviously, when they planned this out in the offseason, the thought was like, all right, it's Kansas. This should be a gimme, you know, gimme win. And, you know, even if, you know, we, we don't look that great, which, again, I think these uniforms of the pictures kind of do look kind of cool. But, like, you know, we should hopefully at least get a win in these uniforms. And now, fast forward to middle of October, it's not a gimme win. I mean, they're favored, but you just said they shouldn't be favored, and I tend to, I tend to agree with you. And they have a chance to lose in, you know, these new uniforms, and that's just uh, that's never a good thing whenever you wear different types of uniforms and you lose a game. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of come – I. That was sort of where I leapt when I first heard that they'd be doing the the alternates for this game. But I, I had the bring the wood stuff in my mind. And then, of course, whenever they lose in those, it's just embarrassing because those are awful. You know, they, they're terrible. They're really bad. Um, these are not bad. These look good. These are these look like every single black alternate that every major program has ever done. And they're pretty clean and they're sharp. And so what? it doesn't matter. Whatever uniforms that they wear on Saturday just do not matter whatsoever. All right. Anything else on Kansas? Because I have nothing. No, nah, I just um, it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting game for sure. So I, you know, I'm I was I was the one last week. You know, after the game in Dallas, everyone was talking. Ah, man, that's rock bottom for OU. Oh, you just hit rock bottom. And in my head, I'm thinking like, Are you freaking kidding me? Kansas is coming to Norman next week, and they're better than OU. I I, I can assure you, losing to Kansas on your home field is going to feel a whole hell of a lot worse than what just happened in Dallas. And like I yeah, if they lose the if they lose the Kansas decisively with Dylan Gabriel like you know playing decently well, then yeah, that's to me that that'll be the the red flag because like I mean they weren't at full strength last week. I, I just I think that matters that matters to me. 
And that's why the Texas game didn't bother me. I mean, it bothered me, but it didn't bother me, I think, as much as a lot of people did. Because, I mean, they had no chance without Dylan Gabriel. But, again, like I said earlier in the show, I want to see more of him. You know, if he plays and, and they still are bad, then it's like, all right, well, this is what it is. And, you know, we, we could get that on Saturday. Like, don't get me wrong. I hope, I hope we don't. But, you know, every single game that passes by now, it seems like a car crash, man. <laughs> and it's just – it's horrible. Like, and, and you – Honestly, it, I, I do kind of want to look away. The whole like cliche with car crashes, like, oh, you don't want to look away when you're driving. It's like, ah, I, I kind of do want to look away at this. Is there something else going on? Something else better to watch? Like, holy holy cow. But, uh, you know, that's, that's worst case scenario. It's so hard think, to yeah, watch. You, you gotta, it's you not fun. There. Like, this is bad football is not interesting. It's not. It's, it's a chore to get through. And um, we'll see, man. I don't know. But, hey, I, you know expectations are are totally changed obviously i'm gonna be fired up probably on saturday morning if they're just competitive in this game <laughs> yeah because like i That's i mean important. i can I, I, this is just ptsd from life i can easily see a scenario where they get run off the field again because yeah, no, i like I, I just i know this absolutely. kansas team is going to come twice. in with a lot of confidence that they can win the game and they're going to be very prepared to attack ou where they're weak I know that for a fact. Yeah. I am certain that that will be the case. A lot of these guys, I'm sure, were on the team a season ago, the, the infamous OUKU game that OU almost lost. And Oklahoma's, you know, or Kansas is better than Oklahoma this season, Grant, and yet they're coming in, and, and once again, all these players are going to be underdogs again to this Oklahoma team. They're going to be incredibly hungry. They're going to feel slighted. They're going to have a huge chip on their shoulder even without their starting quarterback. They don't care because they almost beat him with this guy last year. So there's so many reasons to think not only to grab the points plus nine, but also just maybe bet the money line with Kansas. I mean, it, it could be like free money like how last week if, if you were smart enough to grab Texas all week and heck, even before the game because nobody knew Gabriel was officially going to be out. Under, under 10 points in that game with Texas was free money because you know Oklahoma wasn't going to be able to score. And we could have a similar situation with, with this if you, know, if, if you want to grab Kansas. But, uh, again, yeah, I think the betting by the book principles, though, are telling you that Oklahoma's the side, even though that sounds insane to, to you out there. And it, even, it does sound insane to me, and I even understand what the principle is. Oh, boy. I, I don't know. I mean, the betting principles also told you to take OU against TCU and that, how that turned out. So, Did they? Yeah. Or at least we thought. Yeah, we, we, thought right. yeah, we thought there was going to that game. We thought there was some value on OU. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. It's a good point. See, that's again, I, I forget about stuff. By the way, Caleb messaged me and said, yes, you know, if I, I did say that if Oklahoma continues to play bad and lose, that we'd end the pod. So that's what we talked about earlier or last episode. And so you know, I do. I just say stuff. And I remember some things, but a lot of things I, I don't remember because as I've learned, as I'm sure the same way, you do a podcast now for five, six years. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. Hopefully, uh, nothing that's too terrible. <laughs> it makes us look too bad. I did have one other Facebook comment I want to get to before we get to the picks and talking about the Big 12. And by the way, our picks last week were terrible. So sorry for that. We'll get to that here in a moment. But uh, one more Facebook comment. This one's from Zach. And Zach says, I thought I'd, I'd run this by you both. OU has a major culture problem under the surface. I know. Shocking, right? Indications of it were there before. Defense never really adding up to the hype. To the hype. Offense being great in stretches, then fading out, etc. 
I think the truth is this. OU is a lot more like Texas than we ever wanted to admit. Full of talent, able to get the recruits, but for some unknown reason not being able to get our act together. However, Lincoln Riley was such a good coach that he was able to mask some of the underlying issues. Then the day came that he didn't want to deal with it any longer, so we left. Good for him. I think we owe Riley an apology. He was and is an incredible coach. Unfortunately, I don't know what Oklahoma can do to move forward, but I will be loyal to Oklahoma until the end, and so will many others. So, Boomer, sooner. Thank you both for the hard work on the pod. Please don't stop now that things are bad. We need you now more than ever. Again, that's from Zach. So, Zach, thanks for giving us your thoughts. So, my thoughts, uh, my reply to that is I'm not going to apologize to Lincoln Riley, uh, mainly because I'm not a big fan of the way he handled everything. I just – he. I, I get maybe, I don't know, legally or something, he kind of had to, and that's something maybe we'll never know. But he just he treated everybody like we're, we're stupid, and I never really appreciate that. And again, maybe he kind of had to do that. And so give him true serum, maybe he'd say, ah, oh, man, I feel bad about that. And if that's the case, okay, great. Uh, but after saying that, he's looking very good right now, and there's not much we can say here in Oklahoma other than – we were completely wrong about Brent Venables and we're six games in things can change. It's only six games, but the Colin cowards of the world, those types of people and everyone that was saying that USC was going to be instantly a lot better and Oklahoma would fall off a cliff without Lincoln Riley. They're looking really smart right now and we are looking dumb and it's very frustrating. And I, I, I didn't see it you know, happening this way, but that's the world we live in and, and we got to eat it right now, Grant. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I'm I'm not going to give Lincoln Riley any credit at all. Just not going to do it. Um, he's partly to blame for the issues right now. Um, I, I I still don't think that's any excuse for for the poor performance of Venables and his staff so far. Uh, but no, I mean this was always I perhaps we were a little too hard on hard on him in the sense that he was still able to win with this group of players. But the fact that uh, so many of this group of players regressed as players is squarely on his shoulders and his staff that were there, period. And how much of – and this is on Riley because he got, he got those elite quarterbacks to Oklahoma, and that's, that's all him, and, and he developed them. He, he made them good. I mean, so if you want to say that obviously elite quarterback play masked a lot of issues, I think that's, I think that's true. I think that's definitely they, true. Um, that's on Lincoln Riley. They, they he, didn't have elite quarterback play for a majority of last season, though. They had it in spurts from Caleb Williams. Uh, that was basically mm-hmm. it. I think, um, I don't know, like it's, it, it's been a really, really weird last, you know, two and a half seasons now because, I mean, you go back to that 2020 team, right, Lee? And it, and it does kind of look like that you can pretty much trace the trajectory of that team that season, I think essentially to Ramondre Stevenson coming back. And we're now seeing how good he is. He's, he's, been, a, he's been a really good player in the NFL. Um, and also, I mean, Ronnie Perkins and, and Trey Norwood as well that season. Um, and then last season, man, I, you know, Nick Benito and Isaiah Thomas got a lot of pressure on the quarterback consistently every single play. God, what was I going to say? I had something chambered. Um, I was thinking about something. Oh, man. I thought it sounded... Uh, oh, here we go. I got it. I got it. Okay, so... It makes you, you mentioned the 2020 and all the expectations going into last season in 2021. And yeah, OU, OU won a lot of games, but the entire year, 
we talked about it the entire time. Something's off. Something's wrong. We kind of found out in hindsight, all right, Lincoln Riley wasn't, probably wasn't all in. I mean, he was looking for other jobs. He was talking to USC as much as he wants us to believe that the first time he had contact with USC was after the Bedlam game, which is just a preposterous thing for, uh, that, for us to have to believe, which is obviously not true. So now you see him in, at, at USC his first year. Obviously, he's all in. It's his first year. It's new. It's like his first year at OU at 2017 as the head coach. That, I mean, that was Riley's best team, 2017. They got to the Rose Bowl, Baker Mayfield. He was engaged. I mean, the second game of the year against Ohio State, what an incredible game. What a great win, going to Ohio State winning. My point is, imagine Lincoln Riley, and this is speculation, but I think there's a little bit of evidence to back it up, considering, again, his mind was wandering a season ago. All of the expectations Oklahoma had going into 2021 what if Lincoln Riley was all in and was as dialed in as he seemingly is this year at USC? Would that team have been better? Like, would we have gotten to the point probably where Caleb Williams came in like it happened or would Spencer Rattler have been better? I don't know. I mean, that's kind of, it's, it's all hypothetical, but man, it, it seems like he wasn't fully invested a season ago because he kind of knew he was out the door. And now he's fully invested at USC because it's year one and USC. And we always we all thought, oh, their defense isn't very good. They don't have a good player. Now USC is really good. I mean, they're winning a lot of games. They're undefeated. So that's that's kind of the frustrating part as well is, yes, he's a great coach. Lincoln Riley's a great coach, and he's proving it right now. Um, it's just I kind of wish he would have had more, more invested into OU. But, you know, that's his own prerogative. He didn't have to. It's his life. Um, and, uh, you know, right now, again, we are looking, you know, we're looking dumb for – being so high on Brent Venables, and it's up to Venables now to, to make up for it and to bounce back, or else it's, man, he's not going to last long, which is crazy to even think yeah. about right now, six games into his tenure. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of different emotions going on, and you're right. I mean, I, I, I feel a lot of irritation. I feel a lot of embarrassment for, for, for the takes and stuff like that. And so I'm, it is what, but I, but I still feel like OU fans were not, were not crazy for thinking that this was going to work out really well. Um, they're not. It's just that's just this is just how it's worked out, unfortunately. And I just the thing that I am worried about. And hey, the future is not written. Things can always change. But if OU turns this thing around, if Venables and his staff turn this thing around, and they turn OU into what we hope that they are or what we think they should be, it'd be pretty unprecedented at this point in time. They've been downright embarrassed the last three weeks. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if you can trace back anybody. Who has had that that much of you know falling off of a cliff that much in year one of your program and then recovering? I I, I would probably bet you it's unprecedented. It's probably never happened. <sighs> All right, let's talk about the this rest is of bad. The Big I, just, I'm, I I don't want to I don't want to, but the level of bad that they've reached the last two weeks and then defensively the last three weeks is unprecedented in this program. It's the worst defense this program has ever played in the history of the program. That is not Oof. that is not something that I saw coming at all with with Brent Venables and this staff that he that he brought in. Um, a lot of people, a lot of guys who have played a lot of college football on this defense, and my eyes are telling me they're some of the worst players in all of college football. And I know that's not true. That's not the case. <laughs> so the coaching staff is failing right now. Period. And Brent Venables keeps saying that. He keeps saying, hey, it's on us. It's on us. I know like it, at this point, it's all noise. You know, it doesn't matter what he says, really. I mean, it, it, we're all just we need to see results on the field. And I think, you know, maybe one point. of the uh, maybe maybe a small change that can happen 
is and I like I've said it is is a guy like CJ Colden will get will start will start and will get more playing time. A guy who has actually played competent defense at this level and has had success. Yeah, I asked Ted Roof about CJ Colden the other day, and it sounds like yeah he's going to get more opportunities moving forward. You know, Woody Washington, I'm going to guess will probably stick around, keep playing safety as long as Billy Bowman's out. It just makes sense. Yeah, I I'll mean, be honest with you, man. I'm at the point I'm, now where, and I'm not huge on making a ton of changes and stuff like that. I I would obviously like to see Jaron Canick, um, but kind of like freshman guys. Like I, I'm just I'm not I'm not super big into just throwing freshman guys out there just for quote unquote the future's sake. Um, Jaron Canick is a guy that we know can physically hold up here. He just physically he looks more put together than a vast majority of guys on the field against you know for OU or against OU. And so I'm not really concerned about him. But guys who absolutely need to be out there more, that we need to see more of, C.J. Colden, Trey Morrison, and Kenai Walker. All guys who have been in college programs for multiple years. Get them out there. See what they can do. They're not freshmen. Yeah, one of the interesting things is that Venable said that what they've been seeing in practice is not necessarily translating to the game. And I can't recall exactly if he was being specific to a certain position group or if it was offense or defense related, I think it might've been about the defense. So that's kind of interesting to me. It's like, are they seeing guys that are like, okay, like they're good practice players or something like that, but then they look like crap in games. And so, you know, that's determining whether or not certain players play or don't. And like, there's no guarantee, like a guy's a bad week of practice. So you're like, ah, he's going to be bad in the game. That's probably true. More often than not, that's probably going to be true if they can't figure it out in practice. Uh, but at this point, I mean, what I'm seeing, you know, when I saw the last two games in my rewatch, I don't yeah I mean maybe the younger guys are just as bad and they probably are honestly because heck if these older guys that have experience can't figure it out how are these young guys going to figure it out but still at this point they can't be much worse than what we're seeing anyways <laughs> actually so I'm like actually going to totally push back on that it can always be worse the other teams can score on every play okay like no. and I know I know that sounds crazy but to the people like to the people who want to see these young guys and all that stuff, especially the people who are going after like Broyles and yeah, I don't like Broyles either. I, I I don't like the fact that he's out there. Like him as a person, like him as an OU representative. I but like I can assure you, if they throw out a freshman, he starts giving up 25, 30 yard chunks every play. It can get worse. Oh okay yeah yeah sure right you're right and that's and so I guess yeah it I'm, is uh so I'm yeah. sitting here trying to think but like there's gonna be no quick fix to this thing. Their defense is bad. It's gonna be bad the rest of the season. Just can they be good enough in, in decent spots or in enough spots where they can get off the field every now and then? But there's, no, there's going to be no quick fixes to it. But I guess with the personnel that you have, I feel like just kind of the, the first thing I would do is, is, is base out of 4-2-5 the entire time. You have Deshaun White, and I think actually one of kind of the quieter moves that's sort of paid off. Deshaun White, I think, has been pretty good playing the cheetah position. Um, I think he's been one of the bright spots on the defense this year. He hasn't been great. He's, he's left some plays out there, but he has been less bad at that position than he was a lot of the time playing inside linebacker. Um, and maybe, you know, prefacing that, it's going to sound, maybe what I'm about to suggest is going to sound weird, but I think, I, I do think you got to consider uh, moving moving Deshaun White to middle linebacker and getting Aguebu off the field. Um, I, I think maybe that would be one of your first quick fix things because Deshaun White, maybe he's got a little more confidence. He's been playing playing a little bit better this year. Put him there. Maybe stop the bleeding there a little bit. You can put Jaron Canick at Cheetah. And then you got to get guys like CJ Colden and Trey Morrison who have played a lot of college football. You got to get them back there in the secondary. Get them back there as a steadying force because they've just played a lot of football. I mean, that, that would see, be my... I see Trey Mo if, if, 
Like, I, I, if I was calling yeah. the shots, that's what it would be. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Trey Morrison a little bit too. I just I hated his play against TCU that he should have been flagged for, where it was a ball that he he could have picked off, but he showed no interest in even finding the football and picking it off. And I, I find that to be weird when you're a veteran safety that uh, he he's looking at the player and not the ball that's just lofting over his head. Like I I need to see guys with with better instincts and better ball skills in the secondary and when until Oklahoma gets that it ain't gonna matter because none of these guys have any of that stuff which is crazy I don't understand what they're doing I mean I I, I was sending you some videos today from that game uh and uh, maybe even from the Texas game too and you said what's what's uh, crazy about some of those snaps is that the defensive play by Oklahoma has act was actually pretty good up until the end until the ball got there like everything was played right <laughs> and that's like Finish the play, man. No, yeah, the two like you're in good position. The, yeah, the the two snaps that you sent me from the TCU game, which was the Harrington one and then the Trey Morrison one, it was they were both of those plays at every level were defended perfectly until the ball was coming down in the air, and like I'm it, saying, it like, should have been they, at least one interception, if not two. Yes, and on both plays, OU blitzed and got home pretty much. They forced uh, they forced a quick decision from from Duggan which with better defensive back play would have resulted in two interceptions. Yes. And when you're the defensive back and you're the safety and you're not manned up on anybody and your whole job is just to play deep safety and read the quarterback's eyes, ugh, that's the perfect scenario. Justin Harrington's literally literally tracking the football. You see his head up watching the he ball. He could have fair caught and it. As the ball's com- he was underneath it. As the ball is coming down, he looks to the receiver and takes his eye off the ball and then just like throws his arms like wackily ar- around. It's like, why didn't you just run through and catch the ball? I don't, you're, you're entitled to the football, man. Like you're allowed to go for it. You're allowed to run and try to catch it. And the same thing with Trey Morrison. The ball was lofted up there. He not even once looked for the ball. He just looked at the receiver and he hit the receiver about a half second too early and should have been flagged. But he wasn't. He got away with it. I just don't get how you're back there in a safety position where you're not in a man. You got to read the quarterback. Yes, you have to. It's not easy, but you're reading the quarterback and you're also using your your peripheral vision to see everything and you're staying deep. And when the ball gets lofted up there that quickly after the snap, man, that's what you're out there waiting for. And you're not even watching the football. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand how your instincts as a football player aren't kicking in and be like, oh, here we go. Take away. Here it comes. And I'm not saying Oklahoma would have won the game or anything. I'm just saying make a play. Like all these things, like little things like this, I think is like they all add up, man. And this is like why Oklahoma's defense isn't very good because all these little things added up, add up to a bad defense <laughs> over the span of 60 to 70 plays a game. It's frustrating. Yikes. Hey, and I, I still think, you know, it was perfectly, perfectly reasonable for OU fans to, to think that Brent Venables coming in here would at least make this defense pretty decent with all of the experience that they have on it. It's, I, I'm telling you, everyone who's listening to this, you are not crazy for thinking this defense could have been good. No, not at all. Not crazy. There's plenty of evidence of it. And that's why it's uh, let's like... Talk about it's, the Big 12. It's, like, it's tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely processing a lot of emotions. Brent Venables to this point has been a failure. And that's... That's tough to swallow, for sure. Which is crazy because three games in, he was looking like a huge success. Three, like literally a tale of three games. <laughs> three games and three games, man. It's nuts. It is nuts. In the Big 12 this week, we got three games aside from OUKU. 
Baylor and West Virginia are playing on Thursday night. Baylor, a three-and-a-half-point road favorite over uh, against West Virginia. Don't have much on this game other than I don't think really either one of these teams are, are, are that good. But I, I feel like I, I can't say that anymore now because Oklahoma's not good either. So, you know, technically they're, they're probably both better than Oklahoma at this point. So, you know, what the heck do I know? you have anything on this game? I kind of like my my initial reaction is is that's probably West Virginia. That's a play that I would make there. But uh, I, I don't feel too strongly about that game. I, I think Baylor's Baylor is so unexplosive on offense that I, I think anybody with a pulse is probably going to be in a game with them until they play OU. I'm sure they'll be really explosive against OU. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I anticipate that. Iowa State is at Texas. Texas back in the top 25, and the Horns are laying... 16 and a half and even though i think iowa state kind of stinks if i had to bet this game i'd I'd definitely grab the cyclones because i mean is that a a total like ou texas letdown situation they got all full of themselves and then you gotta you know you gotta cover almost two touchdowns and a field goal against a pretty good iowa state defense so I, i mean i'm not like jumping to say hey go bet iowa state but i think i would look towards iowa state just because of the situation um, I would probably be on Texas in this one. Um, I think the Big Twelve is really deep this year. I think they're good. Texas is the best is the best Big Twelve team I've seen so far this year. Um, I, I think they're the best team in the conference. I hate saying that. I hate it. I hate that that's the case. Um, they look really good though. I I don't think Iowa State's going to be able to move the ball on them. I mean, I am I am absolutely expecting Iowa State's defense to give Texas some fits, and it's going to be maddening for OU fans watching that watching Iowa State have success against that offense that, that just shredded OU. Uh, but I, I, I actually, if I had to pick a side on this, I'd, I'd probably lean Texas. Well, I'm looking back. Iowa State's won three in a row against Texas. How about that? Kind of surprising. Including last year, they kind of blew them out of the water. 30-7. to seven. I guess Texas was bad last year, though. Uh, and we're going to save Oklahoma State TCU for our picks. But oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! Hopefully, you, you know our podcast like file corrupted last week during the pick section. And you guys didn't hear them because they were brutal. Me in particular, I went oh four and one last week. Grant, you uh, you got a win. You were one three and one. Your lone win came taking USC. You decided to go with your your brain and not your heart, and that paid off for you. But uh, overall, though, somehow throughout the entirety of the season, through six weeks. You and I have the exact same record. <laughs> We're both 15, 14, and 1. And granted, we, we do pick a lot of the same games. We're on the same side a lot. But, I mean, not as much to where I think that we'd have the exact same record, though, through six weeks. But, yeah, here we are. Man, there's a lot of interesting games this week. Uh, a lot of ranked opponents playing ranked opponents. So, we'll start in the Big Ten. Penn State, number 10 Penn State is at number 5 Michigan. Michigan is laying seven. Interesting. Man. I uh, just absence any other information, I'd probably grab Penn State and the points. I haven't seen much of these two teams. I haven't seen Penn State play since, uh, what was that, the Purdue game, like week one or two. But uh, Penn State's playing some good football. Another defense is really good. And catching seven points. But I know Michigan, obviously a very good team too. I think I'd take I think I'd take the dog Penn State plus the seven. Where are you on this one? Uh, I was leaning Penn State, but I kind of want to get away from your picks. Actually, no, I, I'll go with Penn State there. I, I see you type in Michigan. Don't I'll go Penn State. I'm gonna go. 
with what I originally felt. I'd probably like Michigan to win that game. Uh, just it, that's going to be a close one. I, I think those two teams are pretty even, actually. That's the thing, man. I, I don't know if Michigan has Michigan seen a defense as good as Penn State's. I don't know if they have. Probably not, but Penn State is a top 10 defense. So, I mean, that's it's hard to replicate that. Penn State also coming off a bye, so that probably helps a little bit. Although, you know, you're, you're back in Sean Clifford, which is always, uh, always an adventure. Bama and Tennessee. And so, hey, kudos to Tennessee, Grant. You, uh, you know, we were both on LSU last week, and LSU got curb stomped by the Josh Heupel and the Vols. And you said that, hey, you know, savvy Tennessee fans, this game against LSU, that's the game where people are going to be thinking, okay, we got to win this game to find out whether or not we're back. And they didn't just win it, Grant. I mean, they, they blew LSU out of the water. And so now Tennessee comes home to host Alabama with a banged-up quarterback. And, like, Bryce Young, I know I, he didn't play last week. I think he kind of warmed up and stuff. I'm sure he'll probably play this week. But now you got Tennessee catching seven at home against uh, maybe a wobbly Alabama team. I think that's probably exactly where the odd make, odds makers want us to think. But... Uh, but I'm going to be a, you know, a, a scrub here. I'm going to be a scrub. I'll be a, a rookie. And you know, I'm, I'm seeing a good Tennessee team catching seven at home against a quarterback that may not be fully healthy. Who knows? Yeah, I'll grab Tennessee plus the points. I'm going to go Bama in this one. Um, I'm actually going to stick to betting principles here. This is... This is <laughs> I like if you want to go by that Vegas thing. This is Vegas telling you they think Alabama might kill Tennessee. I don't know if I read it that way. Yeah, okay, by seven. So if this game was in Tuscaloosa, it'd be at least ten. Yeah. Okay. But also, hey, I, I yeah, That's like props to Tennessee. Huge win. I'm sure. Ten, I'm sure the Tennessee fans massively pumped for that for that win last week. And so, hey, I, I want. And I want Josh Heupel to do well. So obviously, I obviously want Tennessee to win this game. I, I like watching, you know, I, I don't really have anything against Tennessee. So I, I kind of like, you know, I, I like to watch dormant powers like this kind of get back to where they are. There's probably a lot of good Tennessee fans that have been been suffering a little too long. G- give them a little bit of a lifeline. Hey, man, you know, Josh Heupel knows what it's like to go through, uh, you know, in October to remember, Grant. I mean, he was part of one back in 2000. And so far, LSU, big win. Now they got Bama. They got the, uh, the juggernaut in UT Martin next up, and then number 22, Kentucky. This could be an October to remember for Tennessee. Could just be the start of it. Well, hey, I hope it is. Good, good for them, I guess. All right, next one, Big 12. Oklahoma State at TCU. Isn't uh, TCU laying four? You know, it's gone past a field goal. Uh, TCU minus four. Oklahoma State not getting a whole lot of respect here. Uh, I've already kind of backed OSU in, in certain situations where I, I thought it was warranted. Uh, both times they've been, you know, dogs on the road, and they've come out on top. Uh, here, I mean, I, I like TCU a lot, and Oklahoma State's defense is not very good. Uh, it's not forcing any turnovers. It's, I mean, it's statistically kind of there with Oklahoma's, but weirdly it's obviously playing better than Oklahoma's defense. Um, yeah, they, they got better players. They do. TCU's offense, I think, is really good, and so, but four point that's a weird number. Four is a weird, weird, weird number, and I don't think TCU's defense is all that great, so I got I to gotta grab the points again. I got to keep, keep rolling with Oklahoma State, plus I'm getting more than a field goal. It, it's a weird number, and I'm, I'm going to take the Cowboys. Yeah, I'm on Oklahoma State here, too. I, see, I don't. I, like, 
I really don't think TCU is that good. They're good. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. But this is they're they're good. Like they're they're closer to an eight and four team than they are like a ten and two or an eleven and one team. And it also could just be my my personal biases. I just don't think Sonny Dykes is that good of a coach. Um, I don't know, man. That that's just me. But yeah, I, I think is. I think that's a that's Maybe an easy Oklahoma coach, State take by me. Who actually, you know what though? I just thought of something that's actually a pretty inside baseball handicap part of this game is that uh it kind of makes me want to grab tcu now i think about it because the tcu defensive coordinator gillespie he's been at tulsa and remember how tulsa always gives oklahoma state problems yeah oklahoma state's like that guy knows how to defend like totally different this year though not really on the same kind of felt stuff. like to me they I, mean, f- I I don't know when I've watched them this year their offense f- feels way more air raidy this year than it had been the last two years they've been a, they've been a lot more up tempo than I think they have been it's I mean not quite the same as OU nobody is but I mean they run a lot of tempo I was to say yeah they're I, I feel like they're, they're putting a lot more on Spencer Sanders's shoulders this year than they had in the past I don't know to me to me it, it does their their offense feels more like a leech Texas Tech offense than it does what they had been doing the last handful of years um, that's just me though. I, I could be wrong about that. All right, I am making a change. I am changing it to TCU based off of that one, that one bullet point, that one data point of the defensive coordinator for TCU having coached at Tulsa. That's my, and also I think TCU's got a really good offense that's going to be able to score. So if they can, you know, if that guy has success again against Oklahoma State and keeps their point total somewhat low, I think TCU can cover four. So I'm on TCU. Grants on OSU. Number 15, NC State at number 18, Syracuse. Syracuse is laying three and a half at home. And we were both, I think, on NC State last week. They didn't cover. They won, though. I think they ended up, they beat Florida State. They couldn't cover. Am I, this, I I know Syracuse is undefeated right now. This seems like it's almost too easy to grab NC State plus three and the hook, plus three and a half. What am I missing here, Grant? I don't think you're missing much. I, honestly, I don't. I don't know a lot. I, I'm going to take Syracuse because um, I'm just going to go by betting principles. I don't know enough about these teams. Other than I think NC State is is good, but probably generally mediocre. Um, okay. That doesn't that doesn't make me think that Syracuse is like great or anything. Um, I just I just think these are these are two probably slightly above average teams. So give me the team that's at home. I feel like I'm just kind of betting numbers here. And yeah, I mean, they're probably two similar teams and I'm, I'm catching points plus the hook. And I get that Syracuse. I think it's a pretty decent home field advantage. Uh, but this is a team that's not used to winning somewhat recently. And I'm kind of banking on NC State bouncing back after a close. I guess they did win, so they didn't lose. So that, that helps. Um, yeah, I'm on. So we're on, we're on different sides. I'm on NC State. You're on Syracuse. That's a there. coin flip. I mean, if you... There's no way that anyone could feel super strongly one way or the other about this game. And lastly, number seven, USC, is at number 20, Utah. Utah is a a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. Will this finally be the the game USC loses? I need USC to start losing so I can potentially cash my under ticket. It's not looking good, man. They got USC – or they got Utah – UCLA and then maybe Notre Dame. They got to lose all three of those games, or else I am. Well, uh, you don't have to. I mean, those I'm are losing. definitely the three best teams on their schedule the entire year. So I mean, they, they still have to play the three best teams on their schedule. Yeah, but I mean, by this time of the year, though, I thought they'd have at least one loss. I thought they they would have dropped at least one of them, whether it be that Oregon State game up in Corvallis, 
Uh, there was, uh, you know, heck, even Washington State's a decent team. And there was one other one. Oh, Fresno State was kind of like a wild card. Like, yeah, is Fresno going to be a little frisky? No. But, uh, man. Uh, so, anyways, Utah is a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. I do like the fact that Utah just lost. I do like that. That helps. So, man, at the same time, though, I as badly as I want Utah to win and win going away, I'm not going to jump away from USC. Like, I've been so wrong about everything with Lincoln Riley and USC. I'm going to grab them here plus a three and a half. Is this finally going to be the time, though, Grant, where, you know, not just us, but a lot of people like, oh, man, <laughs> have fun, Lincoln and USC going and playing, you know, Kyle Whittingham and Utah and their, you know, their tough-nosed type football. Good luck there. I mean, is that narrative actually going to play out the way that everyone kind of expects it or we're not? Or is Utah going to get USC just bombing away on him with Caleb Williams? I don't That's know. That's what's going to happen. USC is going to bomb away on him. So you're on USC as yes, well? Yes, I am. And also, I mean, I'm just, I'm bitter too. USC has better defensive players than Lincoln Riley ever had at OU. That pisses me off. Yeah, it's, it's, it sucks. Everything sucks. Everything sucks. So I'm just, Including it's whatever. I mean, that week. was freaking Bruce Feldman at the end of, of the end of last year said that USC's roster was in the worst shape it had been since the nineties. I watch it and USC has better defensive players than Lincoln Riley ever had at OU. WTF, yeah, so I think man. we can, what I is going can say on with that, that? A lot of that, a lot of that stuff was BS then. Like there was hyperbolic. Uh, I mean, clearly they had some talent there, but the defense was supposed to be, supposed to be pretty bad like talent wise like I, offensively again i thought the offense would be really good just because lincoln riley that's what he does he does good offense but the defense i know they're giving up yards and stuff but man like they're not even giving up many points anymore like they're holding teams to a couple touchdowns and i mean the turnovers have not been as insane as it was the first three or four games but i mean it it's still it's still always going to be kind of there it's, it's going to be possibility and you know everything that we hoped for that defense to be at oklahoma in year one and six games at USC, Alex Grinch and, and Lincoln Riley are getting everything out of it pretty much that he probably wanted. And it's just another part of this whole this whole story of 2022 college football that's been super, super frustrating. And it just makes us question whether or not we know anything about football. <laughs> that's where we're at. Yeah, correct. That's, All right. that's, that's where we are. It's not it's been a, been a very trying season. It's been a, it's been three weeks. It's all it's been. It's just been three weeks, really. First first three weeks were a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, they really were. Yeah, I don't even remember what that was like. And was so here's you know ago. what? How about a little bit of positivity as we as as we end the podcast? If they just merely beat Kansas on Saturday, I'm gonna be ecstatic. I'm gonna be in such a great mood. Doesn't matter how it happens. Doesn't matter how they win. I'd be really happy about it been a long time since that happened no more when they beat in Kansas. Yeah. No more taking wins for granted, man. There's no more like, uh, gosh, they won, but, man, it was ugly. It's like, yeah, it, if Oklahoma wins a game, it doesn't matter. Yes, that's a positive thing. That's where Oklahoma is now. And that's a, a spot that, that, that most of college football fans are in that we're just not used to, and we don't want to get used to it. But at least for now, I guess we'll have to do our best to embrace it. But also a little bit of Absolutely. cold water on all of that. If you're an OU fan who expects OU to win on Saturday, you're insane. No, you just you really buy into Dylan Gabriel. That's basically all I, I think it means. You can outscore Kansas. Okay, insane. Insane's the wrong word. I, I just it's 
be prepared for Oklahoma to lose to Kansas on their home field on Saturday. It is more likely than not. I would hope that most reasonable OU fans are not super uh, like confident in Oklahoma's ability to win this game. I mean, they're going to be happy to see Dylan Gabriel back, but like reasonable OU fans, right? Like the way they played the last two games and to some extent the last three, there's no way you can go into any game and think, oh man, they got this one in the bag. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, but hey, you'd be surprised. It's football. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I I'm already be. seeing just like, man, if Kansas wins the opening toss, if they do not take the ball, they're crazy. I mean, I just, can you, you, you can imagine, right? Kansas takes the ball, they go down and they score easily. And it just, it's going to, the game is already going to feel over. Oh, that'll be a big yikes. All right, that's it for us. We'll be back on uh, Sunday to talk about whatever the heck happens Saturday morning and early afternoon on Owen Field. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.